0: empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he
1: You have a Bible, I would like to invite you to turn in it to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. I am going to read out of two versions. The first one is the New Living Translation and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6. This letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an Apostle of Christ Jesus. It is written to God's holy people in Ephesus. And as we said before, that Ephesus should be Asia Minor. God's holy people in Asia Minor, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May grace and peace be yours, Sent to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. How we praise God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realms. Because we belong to Christ. Long ago. Even before he made the world. God loved us. And chose us. In Christ. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly beloved son. That's the New Living Translation. I'm going to read the New American now. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the holy ones, that's what saints means, holy ones, who are at Asia Minor, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us. And that means marked us out beforehand. In the Greek, He marked us out to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And that, of course, is a reference to Jesus Christ. We are discovering God's dream in Ephesians. And I want to begin with an admission I am not capable of speaking on Ephesians chapter 1. I hope that maybe when I'm 80 years old, if the Lord gives me that many years, I will be capable of it. As I said to you before, Ephesians 1 doesn't fit the modern Christian vocabulary. If you look at the chapter, it is beyond any of us. We have a man who is... Consumed with a revelation of Jesus Christ. Consumed with God's eternal purpose. He has seen something beyond the natural. And he is groping for human language. He's groping for words. He's straining and struggling to put it in language. He's struggling to describe what he has seen. It is indescribable. It is inexplicable. I wish we could take five years and go through this book and seek to plummet its depths but I said to you we would spend one year in Ephesians and I'm gonna hold myself to that having said that I will be leaving an enormous amount out uh, I have used the illustration before that trying to exhaust Ephesians is like uh, trying to put the Atlantic Ocean in a teacup it is impossible I have one goal in these meetings And that is to show you just how glorious the Christ is that you have. To show you just how incredible and how amazing the Christ is that you have. To give to you the Christ that Paul gave to the Christians in the first century. That's my goal. And if you could get a glimpse of this Christ, this amazing Lord, then what you will say is, How wonderful, how glorious, how incredible is this Lord that I have and what he's done for me. It is beyond what I can even imagine. In fact, it is so wonderful, I have a hard time believing it. So that is my goal. The gospel that Paul preached was an incredibly high gospel, and we very rarely hear it today. It is one unbelievable gospel. Ephesians is the most profound The deepest, the highest, the most sublime piece of literature in the New Testament. There's no other book that goes beyond it. And it doesn't matter what revelation you have of Christ. It doesn't matter what vision you have of the Lord. It doesn't matter whatever insight you learn about Him. It doesn't matter what high or remote thought you have about the Lord. If you go back to Ephesians, you'll find it there. Got there before you. So this is an incredible book. And it contains an incredible revelation of Christ. Paul is literally spilling over with Jesus Christ in this letter. He mentions Christ 113 times in the whole letter. Read the letter of Ephesians. Read the first chapter and count how many times he mentions Jesus Christ. This is where the brother's heart was. And he wrote that letter to Christians in the first century who are meeting in homes like we are, in worse conditions than we have, and he wanted those people to know who this Christ was that lived in them. He wanted them to know that this Jesus that dwelled in them was more than the Nazarene carpenter who lived on earth and taught in parables and did miracles. He wanted them to see that this Christ lived before creation and did some imponderable things that relate to you and me before creation. And he went through history and he appeared on earth and he is now a reigning, triumphant, enthroned Lord living in that people right then when he wrote them that letter. He wanted them to know that and he knew that that was the key to them surviving. So this is my introduction to this passage. Last time we met, we didn't get past the the third verse. We got to verses 1 and 2 and I probably spoke for an hour and a half on verses 1 and 2. And we were introduced to three riches of Christ. Holiness, grace, and peace. And He opens up with the words, holy ones. That's how He greets the people. Now I want to just review really quickly here. The early Christians greeted one another with the words, holy ones. So, Megan, you're in the first century and a brother sister sees you in the morning and says good morning holy one and you would say good morning holy one and this evening I would say good evening holy ones good evening holy ones you would not say and this is the modern thinking good morning I hope you're going to be holy today or good evening I sure hope you were holy today no it's holy ones we are part of the lineage of a holy God And by virtue of the fact that we are in him and he's in us, we are holy. And if you're not clear on that yet, you will be clear by the end of this meeting, hopefully. We are holy ones. And so I wish to encourage the brothers and sisters to use your proper name and greet one another as holy ones. You might want to break your jaw saying it, and hearing it might sound strange. But the reality is, you are holy ones. That's how the early Christians saw one another. That's how they spoke to one another. So let us recapture this reality. You were holy ones. We talked about what holiness was, and I'm not going to review that, but I think it was a different take than what we normally hear. And He has given us grace and peace. And we're going to learn more about grace tonight. But grace always brings peace. Peace always follows grace. If you're a Christian and you have problems in the area of peace, it's because you have not laid hold of grace. Because if you have grace, peace follows. It's, it's the cousin of grace. We belong in the lineage of a holy God. And then he opens up and he talks about our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to say one word about that. We belong to God the Father, and He belongs to us. And that's a real tie. We are His, and He's ours, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find Paul say this over and over again, our Father, our Father God, God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have spoken to you about this before, but there is a divine dance going on between the Father and the Son, and it has been going on from the beginning. Literally the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time. In the Christian life, you and I have burst out of that divine dance. And now that we live on this earth, we can actually break into that divine dance and participate in that fellowship. There is a divine dance, and we have been invited into the dance. That brings us to verse 3, and I wish to read it to you again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That verse, brothers and sisters, is beyond all of us. It is the great sentence of all great sentences. It is the single most glorious line in all of Holy Writ. It is the most profound passage in the scripture. And it is impossible to explain. But I'm going to try anyway. When you come to Ephesians 1, verse 3, you have marched off the map. You have marched off the earth. You have walked into another universe. And you have run out of vocabulary to describe it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. That sentence is the main point of the whole letter of Ephesians. If you continue to read Ephesians, the rest of it is an unfolding of what that means. It's an unfolding of that verse. In fact, that verse is the summary of the entire book. When you get to verse 4, Paul then launches into the longest sentence in the whole New Testament. It actually begins in verse 3. Verse 3 to verse 14 is one sentence. It contains 202 words. And what Paul is doing is he is seeking to describe that which is indescribable. I want to break it down for you because this is going to be the content of our meetings in the future. Verses 4 to 6, and that's what we're going to spend our time on tonight. We're going to look at verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. Verse 3 is the main point. It's the summary of the whole letter. And everything beyond that, it's like a snowball that's rolling down a hill and it's picking up steam and mass. That's what the rest of chapter 1 is. Verse 3 is the snowball and now it's moving down and it's picking up steam and mass. Verses 4 to 6, the focus is on the Father choosing. The Father choosing. Verses 7 to 12. Is the Son redeeming? And verses 13 and 14 is the Spirit sealing. The Father choosing, the Son redeeming, the Spirit sealing. He's talking about the Triune God and what the Triune God has done for you and me. And every time he ends a section, okay, when he ends the first section, he explodes into an anthem of praise. And this is what it is. To the praise of His glory. And then he'll go into the next section. The sun redeeming. To the praise of His glory. And then he'll finish off with the Spirit sealing. To the praise of His glory. Here is a man whose heart is full of thanksgiving and praise to his Lord. Because he cannot believe what his Lord has done and who his Lord is. And this is how he opens it up. In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father. That means praise be to the God and Father. It's worship, it's thanksgiving, it's praise, it's awe. And my dear brother and sister, when you realize and you find out what He has done for you, in Ephesians chapter 1, you too will explode into praise. Praise. You will move your mouth and your lips and you will say, My God, my Lord, I cannot believe what you have done and what you've done for me. And if you don't do that, then you're ungrateful. You're an ungrateful person and you're blind as well. So, to the praise of his glory, this is welling up in him as he expounds this glorious thing. Who has blessed us with somebody who has it? Read the read the passage. Verse three. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing? Okay, let's let's park right there for a minute. The Father, your God, has blessed you, the church, and members of it, with every spiritual blessing. What is the tense there? Past. That is past tense, right? Okay. Past tense means that these blessings that he's going to talk about have already been given to you and me. They're already yours. And this is the place to stand when you look at Ephesians chapter 1. It's the place of ownership. It is the place of ownership. If you give me a glass of water, that glass of water, I take it, I drink it, it's mine. If you give me a, a piece of food, me a cracker, I take it, it's mine, I eat it. If you give me a car, I take the car, I drive it, it's mine. But if you give me the heavenlies and all that's in the heavenlies, if you give that to me, that is mine and I can enjoy it. This is very different from the perspective that most Christians have. And that is, someday he will give me the blessings. Listen to the vocabulary, listen to the words, Lord, I really need, or, you know, I'm growing into, or I'm working on, or I'm asking God for. Brothers and sisters, this is not in the thought of the Apostle Paul. You have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Now, let's talk about these blessings. There's another word for blessings, and Paul uses it throughout this letter. Does anybody have an idea of what it is? Riches. 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 Blessings and riches. Every blessing. All riches. It's the same thing. Now, what are these blessings? What are these riches? I will tell you what they are in a sentence. They are everything. They are all that Christ is. And to be more specific, and I'm staying with Ephesians 1 now. They are, those riches and those blessings are everything that was in Christ before creation, everything that is in Christ now, and everything that will be in Christ after this creation. And when you listen to the unsearchable riches of Christ, you will find that there is a picture of those riches and those blessings in the Old Testament, but it's just a picture. Now, in the Old Testament, the blessings... The riches were material, and they were tied to your obedience. I'm going to repeat that. They were material, and they were tied to your obedience. If you didn't obey God, you did not get the blessing. If you obeyed God, you got the blessing. My dear brother and sister, it is not that way with the blessings that you have been given. Paul said, who has, has blessed us. Us, the church, blessed you, God's people, God's holy people, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. It's already happened. It's yours. It is not tied to your obedience. And I know that runs against the grain of most of your what you've been taught, but it, is not, it has nothing to do with that. And I want to explain why. Stay with me. Not only that, but these are spiritual blessings. These are the real riches. See, the riches in the Old Testament were photographed pictures. This is the real riches. And they are richer than anything that you can find on this earth. Those blessings have been given to you and I. They've been given to the church. And notice the word every. That means He has left nothing out. Every means all. It's inexhaustible. Paul will later phrase it this way, the unsearchable, the inexhaustible, the limitless (coughs) riches, blessings of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm working toward my point here. You have to follow me slowly. I'm moving very slow here because this is truly impossible to communicate. Where are these riches? They are in heavenly places. They are not part of this realm, this earthly realm. The heavenlies, that phrase is used five times in Ephesians. It's a very unique phrase. It doesn't mean heaven, you know, where there's a harp and angels and where the dead people are. It is the spiritual realm where all the riches are located. And it's where your Lord Jesus Christ is right now. That's where those riches are. You're here on earth. Those riches are in the heavenly places. But they've been given to you. Now, my dear brother and sister, listen to me carefully. You do not belong to this earthly realm. You do not belong to this earthly realm. You belong. Your home is in the heavenlies, even though you're on this earth. And I'm going to come back to this later, but you have a passport. You have been given a passport, Brother Bill, to the heavenly realms where the riches of Christ are now while you're on this earth. Not later, when you die. Now. You have access to that realm. So they're in heavenly places, but they're also located somewhere else. They're in heavenly places in Christ. And there's a mouthful right there. Those two words, in Christ. Paul uses the phrase or the equivalent 36 times in Ephesians. And throughout all his letters, he will use it 164 times. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. What in the world does that mean? That means... That you and I are inseparably, indistinguishably one with our Lord. We are, in the eyes of God, joined, united to our Lord. We have been plunged in the Son of God. And boy, it gets even better than that. But that union is real and it cannot be broken. We are so one with our Lord. Brother Jeremy, you are so one with your Lord because you're in Christ that if the Father were to condemn you, He would have to condemn His Son. And if the Father were to declare you unholy, He would have to declare His Son unholy because you, brother, are in Christ. And if he said, Jeremy is outside of Christ, he would be saying, Christ is outside of me. You and I have been made one with our Lord. We are in Christ. And that's just not some theoretical, abstract, theological, philosophical, positional thing. It is the reality. Behind the eyes of God, I am in Christ. That's a good place to be. Amen. Amen. That is a very secure place to be. A long time ago, there was a man who got on a boat in Italy and uh, that boat went to Ellis Island in New York. I was in that man. And if that boat went down and that man drowned, I would not be here today. Wherever that man went, I went. Whatever happened to that man happened to me. Why? Because I was in him. I was in that man. Are you following me? You are in Christ, and that means that His history is your history, because you were in Him. See, you weren't just put in Him, and sister, you have to remember this, you weren't put in Him when you got saved. You were put in Him a lot longer back than that. Amen. A lot further back than that. I was in Him before I was even born, and so were you. You getting saved was simply the outward manifestation of something that happened a long, long, long time ago. Your history is His history. What was the history of the Son of God before creation? The Father loved Him passionately. He was one with His Father. The Father accepted Him. What was the history of Jesus Christ when He walked on the earth? The Father loved Him passionately. He was one with His Father. He was accepted by the Father. Brothers and sisters, that history is your history. It's the same history. One of the greatest truths of the gospel is that everything that God the Father has given His Son, He has given to you and me. Everything. Everything. Actually, there's only one thing that He hasn't given. He made His Son to be sin for us. We don't share that experience. But everything else, sister, we are in Christ. Now let's go a little bit further. You can't separate verse 3 from verse 4. He has blessed us. Praise His name. And by the way, by the end of this meeting, if you're not on your feet praising Him, well then, you've not heard what Paul was trying to communicate. Because this will cause you to explode in praise. And this will cause you to sing your lungs out. And tomorrow's meeting ought to be a barn burner. Because after tonight, my goodness, if tonight doesn't cure you of a guilt conscience, a guilty conscience, an insecurity Then nothing will. All right. What does verse 4 say? Somebody read it, please. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay. And some translations don't put the in love at the end of that. Line they put in love to the next verse, which I lean toward that. This
0: is the authorized
1: version. Is it the authorized? Okay, great, <laughs> wonderful. God only spoke
0: one line. The, the King
1: Jimmy. Okay, good. We took it that way, whether you meant it or not. We took it that way. In Him, you were chosen. In Him, He chose you. The Father chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, that's before you were born. But that's not only before you were born. That's before he even created. Now listen to me here. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that helps us understand this. It's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. It says his works were finished before the foundation of the world. And if I can paraphrase that. That means he finished his entire creation. He finished all of his work before he even created it. He finished it before He even created it. Now, before time, before angels and atoms, before the first tick of the clock, before God said, let there be, God did something in His Son. The passage says, and He predestined us. That means He marked us out beforehand. God the Father reached into the Son and He chose all of you in this room. Portions of the Son's very being. He chose. And He gave you a name and He assigned it and He wrote you in the Lamb's Book of Life. That happened long before you and I were ever born. And because you are in Christ before creation, back then, you were in Christ before creation. You were selected and marked out in Him. Do you suppose that you could have been unholy back then? When He chose you? Anybody want to say, I was unholy back then? No, because then you'd be saying Christ was unholy. Okay? Alright, but wait a minute, now you got to earth, now you were born, born in sin, right? And you go through your life, and you have been told, like I have been telling you, like Paul has been telling you, I'm just quoting Paul, I didn't make this up, that you are a holy one, that you are in Christ, and you are a holy one. He chose you in Him, so that you would be holy and blameless in His sight. You were holy and blameless in His sight when He chose you. But brothers and sisters, you are still holy and blameless in His sight because you have not gotten out of Christ. You are still in Christ. And you will be holy and blameless in His sight at the very end, whenever that end is. But there will come a time where creation will be gone. It will dissolve and all things will be summed up in Christ. This is Ephesians. All things will be summed up in Him. Things in heaven and things in earth. So the only thing that's going to be standing is Christ. Everything will dissolve. You will be in Christ then. Now, here is our problem. We are locked into space-time. Okay, We're creatures of space-time. And we have this view that we go through life and God walks along with us. Right? But brothers and sisters, listen to me. That's not really accurate. God is walking along with you but he also was walking with you before you were born and before creation where he chose you and not only that but he's at the end when you will finish you haven't gotten there yet in space-time but he's already been there and he's already seen you at the very end part of that innumerable throng that will become the most beautiful woman in the world that he will marry you will be there at the end he sees you there at the end now here is the problem we Christians have we think well Okay, I'm walking with the Lord now, but then, you know, gosh, what if I do something in the future? What if I, what if I sin, you know, next, what if I really sin big? I won't be a holy man anymore. I'll be out of his grace. Or you think, well, gosh, man, you don't want to know what I did last week. And I don't. Don't tell me what you did last week. I don't want to hear it. But, uh, you may say, well, you don't know what I did yet last week. my answer to you is, do you know something? If you have named His name, He chose you before the creation, and He was there when He chose you. And He was also there when you made it at the very end. He that shall endure to the end shall be saved. He's also there as well. But you're looking at right now. You don't remember when you were chosen in Christ before creation, and you can't see the future. But your God does. In fact, not only does your God see it, but he's there at the same time. I'll give you an illustration. I want you to imagine a long river. I'm at the end of the river. David's at the, the mouth of the river, the head of the river, the beginning, right? We can't see each other because the river's so long. You know, it's like a mile long. He's way out there. And all of a sudden, a log passes by me. And I see that log. I watch it pass. And then it disappears from my side. I can't see it anymore. But then it gets to David and he sees it. But when he sees it, I don't see it. And when I saw it, he didn't see it. Because we're at two different sides of the river. Correct? But take a man that's on the cliff. And he can see the whole river from beginning to end. He saw the log pass by me. He also saw the log pass by him. He sees the whole thing. Well, that's kind of like how God does, but God does even more than that. God, your God, my God, is in the future, is in the past, and is in the present all at the same moment. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Remember, we're captured in time. We're captured in time space. Okay, this is hard for us to conceive. How long is our now? Now. It's about as fast as you can say now. How long is now? Did you see it pass? It's gone. Now. It's gone. Sisters and brothers, listen to me carefully. That's our now. It's a split second, correct? God's now stretches from eternity path to eternity future. He's at the beginning. He's at the end. And He's in the middle. He's walking with you now. But He sees you at the end, at that same moment. And He also sees Himself in experiences Him choosing you from the foundation of the world. And guess what? you are in Christ there in the beginning you're in Christ now you will be in Christ we're locked to time-space so this is how it is with us it's like looking at a suspension bridge one end is really strong looks good the other end is it really strong looks good but this middle here is really shaky and that's where we're walking right now but in God's view he's there he's here he's there and what he has done has stretched from beginning to end. You all heard of C.S. Lewis, right? Has anybody in the room heard of C.S. Lewis?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Good. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. It's a classic. In the very last section of that book, he has a chapter called Time and Beyond Time. And this is what he says. He says, God is like a sheet of paper. Think of God as a sheet of paper, right? Draw a straight line from one end of the paper to the other. That's time. And that's creation. Because time comes with creation. There's no time outside of creation. God creates, then you have time. The straight line is time. Where is the line in relation to God? It's inside Him. It's inside Him. He envelops it. Okay. That means if this is God, the paper's God, and that line is time, He's outside time. And time's in Him. He's experiencing, and He is present in the beginning of that line, the middle of that line, the end of that line. He envelops all of it. And the Scripture says this in Colossians 1, verse 16. Listen to these words. It says, All things were created in Him. Christ. And that's in the original Greek. Everything was created for Him, by Him, and the word there in Christ all things were created and in verse 18 it says Christ is the beginning now somebody quote Genesis 1 what are the first words in the beginning, in the beginning God created who is the beginning Christ is the beginning so there you have Christ is the beginning he even said I am the beginning do you know he said that He said, I am the Alpha. He didn't say, I'm going to be the Alpha or I was the Alpha. He says, I am the Alpha. And he said, I am the End. I am the Omega. At the same moment, he's the Alpha and he's the Omega. At the same moment. And theologians call this the eternal now. It's all now with him. Brother Jeremy, you look really comfortable there. Should get up and come over here? I'm going to use you as an illustration. I want you to see behind the eyes of your God. And my dear brother and sister, you have got to get behind the eyes of your God to understand and appreciate this. This is Jeremy. We're we're in year 2006. Your Lord, before this young man was born, reached into his Son, God the Father, before time, and marked out a portion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, before he ever lived, before God said, Let! And said chosen from the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in my sight, in my son. And he will be Jeremy. And some angel wrote his name in some book. Was he in Christ then? Yes. God, at the same moment that He did that, is at the very end of the ages. The end of creation when all things are dissolving and the only thing left standing is Christ. God is there also and He sees Him. And He endured into the end. And He is in Christ at the end. And God is walking with Him every day because He's dwelling in Him. In the eyes of God, He's always been in Christ. Always been in Christ. And this understanding, brothers and sisters, listen to me now, of what your God did before creation helps explain Passages that Paul wrote that defy understanding. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. I was raised with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. You were raised with Christ. How can he say that? Those people weren't there. He wasn't there. And then the most remarkable is in Romans 8, where he said, Them who he predestined, he called. And them who he called, he justified. And them who he justified, he glorified, past tense. Because in the eyes of God, this brother, all at the same time, has been chosen in Christ before creation. He's glorified with Christ, even though that hasn't happened yet. We haven't caught up to that yet. You see that? So, therefore, in the eyes of your God, and those are the only eyes that matter, this brother is holy and blameless in His sight. And He will always be holy and blameless in His sight. And that's how your Lord looks at Him because He's not tied to this present earth. And if this brother says, well, you don't know what I did yesterday, well, brother, remember what He did before the creation of the world. And remember what He's going to do in the future. You haven't gotten there yet. And if He says, well, you know, I'm afraid that I might do something. Brother, you're chosen before the creation of the earth. And He was there at the end, in the beginning, in the end, all throughout the same. And here's what I want to say to you. He's a holy one. He is marked out in Christ. He was marked out in Christ from the foundation of the earth. He's blameless in the eyes of God. He's in Christ, therefore He is just as righteous and pure and holy as Christ in the eyes of God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. He's a holy one. Treat Him that way. Treat them that way. Have a seat. This sister is a holy one. Treat her that way. This brother is a holy one. Treat him that way. See, this puts us on a collision course with the church. The church, we, brothers and sisters, must, must remind one another constantly about what's real in the eyes of God. Remind one another how God sees us. The only view you should take is the view of your Lord. Amen. That's the only view. And to remember to treat one another as holy ones. Now, you're not always going to succeed at that. But if you can live with one another by looking through these eyes, boy, it will change so much. I am holy before my God. I am blameless. Because before time, God the Father chose me in Christ to be holy and blameless in His sight.
0: God.
1: And I'm something special. I am the elect of God. I am favored of God. And so are you. And in those moments of insecurity and in doubts in condemnation, Brothers and sisters, there is a mountain that you have to stand on. There is a place for you to take your ground. And it is in the heavenlies, in Christ, where all the riches of Christ are accessible to you. And this ought to free you up of a guilt complex. Because I'm telling you how God sees you. And this is not my idea. This is what Paul said.
0: Earthquakes of doubt and remorse assail him, impale him with monster truck force. In his mind, he's still driving, still making.